All right. Well, it's good to see each of you. Uh, and I want to let you know just what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So obviously, we're almost probably tired of talking about it. Obviously, 2020 and beyond has been this, this crazy season, right? So many things going on. And one of those things that has happened is we found ourselves as human beings inside and outside the church. Man, we've been told inside the church, hey, you've been designed to, to live the abundant life in Christ. And and in that, right, we're finding people who were just overwhelmed and living a stress-filled life. And so one of the things I felt God was leading us to as we came out of Easter, out of this incredible moment of the resurrection, this reality of what Jesus has for us as the abundant life found through the resurrection of Jesus, is this idea of living, uh, the, uh, living fully alive in a, in a stress-filled world, right? This idea, like fully alive in a stress-filled world. And we want to take a couple of weeks and kind of dive into biblically what God is speaking in that and honestly looking at it very practically. I'm going to be talking about the, how the brain works and what, what it means, what, what, what Scripture talks about as being anxiety and worry and what it actually means beyond that and how that impacts our world. And so we're going to dive in. Who knows? It may just go terrible. Terribly awful. I have no idea. I've never spoken on this before like this. So we'll just see how it goes, right? So if you don't like it, pretend like you do, right? But don't leave vintage in the middle of it. But I think it's going to be okay. I really do, right? And so I'm excited about what God's going to do in that and just believing for it. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I encourage you to come. If you have friends, you feel like it may be helpful in their lives, they can come in person or obviously they can watch online also. And so be, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun and helpful and engaging. All right. Let me invite, invite Tate. Uh, Tate, I almost called you Taterbug Welling, but it's Tate Welling right here. So if you, uh, so if you were involved with, uh, excuse me, with Vintage in the very, very beginning, uh, Tate was on staff with us. He was our very, very first paid staff uh, beyond Randall and myself. And he came in and led worship for us. He came in and brought the good looks. He came in and did some stuff with our youth, right? People said we like twins. That's why I said that. And so in that, right, you know, so Tate is one of my closest friends. He and his wife, Ashley, see his four girls right there. And so, yeah, we have, uh, so, and so when Tate left, he left and went to the Georgia College and State University Wesley Foundation done in Milledgeville. He's been there now for 10 years. He corrected me earlier. I thought he had been here much longer, but anyway, so 10 years, he was here two and a half years. And uh, yeah, so him being back today, like, why'd you bring him back? Like, I just wanted to hear Tate speak and I wanted to give an opportunity for me to take a break from spring break and give an opportunity to hear Tate. Man, his first service was great and I expect the same from this service. So with that, let me pray for us, pray for Tate, and then uh, we will dive in. So Father, we are um, incredibly thankful for this morning. God, thankful for this opportunity to, to be here, um, uh, to, to worship, and honestly, God, just to be here to connect and listen to what you have to say through Tate. I pray, Father, in this time that you would bless him, and I pray that God, you would open up our ears to hear the words you had to say through him, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I, I sat on the stool last time. Is it okay if I stand? Does that throw? You're good? Okay. Um, when we first started Vintage, Steve, you probably remember this. We remember the trip. I don't know where we went. We went to some church. Shanestone. That was the name of the church or the name yeah, of the city? That oh, that's right. We did make that up. This church that was closing. Was this in South Carolina? And this is where we got so much of the equipment that we started Vintage with. Like it's almost like a depressing way to start a church. You go to a church that's closing. And you're like, what can we have? And then I remember we're walking out, and I look up in the rafters, and there's this, like, there's a snake, like an audio snake, not an actual snake. I would have not gone near it. 
And we were like, what about this snake? And the guy looks at us and is like, I mean, you can have it if you can get it. I looked at Steve. I was like, we can get this snake. And we should not have gotten that snake. It was not worth it. It was total junk. But I will never forget, like, even just that moment. I loved that aspect of, or that part of my life, that season of my life was so fun um, for me. And it was fun because I got to do it with one of my best friends. Um, just made it that much more meaningful. Um, I would not want to do it again unless I get to do it with Steve. Um, because, again, I should not have... If anyone asks you, if it's in the raptures, if you can have it, just leave it. It's not not worth it. Pray that the Lord will give you money to buy a new one. Um, so my, I have a, a fan club here. My, my family's here. Um, my aunt, my mom, my two sisters, my brother-in-law. Scott and I, my brother-in-law, we have, we have a similar look. Similar to me and Steve, this olive skin. It's a good look, guys. So... Um, but I thank you, fam, for coming. Um, so today, I, I do feel like I have a, a message for you guys as a church that I think is pretty important for where y'all are as a church, as Vintage. Um, and I, I think if I was going to put it in one word, I do believe that the Lord's has an the Lord has an anointing on this church of incarnation, of of God in the flesh, of you being um, Jesus to the city, to the world around you. Um, I work in, with college students, and one thing that I'm pushing against often in the world of uh, the college age is there is this hunger to know things. Um, and we can oftentimes be wary of consumer Christianity, but we think what we think consumer Christianity is is like lights and, and smoke and fog and just flashiness. Ultimately, that, what consumer Christianity is, is whenever you just consume, 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 and you never apply. Um, so oftentimes, I'm telling my students, you're not, because I'll hear this a lot, I just need somewhere with, with I just need some, some depth of teaching. And I try to encourage them, especially for me, I'm like, you don't need more depth. What you need is more application in your life. I learned that through working with Stephen Randall. These are two people in my life that I think apply the teachings of Jesus Christ perfectly. I don't mean to put that kind of pressure on you, but um, they are perfection. They, um, I said this way in the first service, unimpressed with what you know are moved by what they see you apply in your life. Um, so we can talk about God's heart for the orphan. They're going to live out God's heart for the orphan. You see that through your foster care ministry that is, that is birthed out of here. Um, I love that about Stephen Randall. I try to emulate that, right? As I see it in them, I want to see it in my own life. So I have a bit of that for us this morning, I think, as a church. Um, we are in a season, or hopefully wrapping up a season, of just a very odd, difficult time. Um, and I think I'm going to kind of go through three things this morning. One, I'm going to give you a really brief, butchered overview of the book of Ruth. Um, and then I'm going to give you uh, what it looks like for us to be um, a part of the good news in difficult times. And then finally, what it looks like for, for Jesus to be a part of the good news in, um, in, in difficult times. But so first, let's 
Let me give you this quick overview of, of Ruth, right? So if you don't know much about the book of Ruth, I'm just going to zoom you through really, really quickly. You have, um, I mean, so quickly. You have Naomi and Elimelech. They live in Bethlehem. There's a famine that causes this drought. They need to move. So they take their two sons, uh, Milan and Chilean, and they move to Moab. Um, upon getting to Moab, uh, some point soon after, it seems, when you read through Ruth, Elimelech dies. Um, and then her two son, Naomi's two sons then marry. They marry uh, Ruth and Orpah. They're married for 10 years. Then uh, Milan and Chilean both die. So now you have this, uh, the, the dilemma of, of the book of Ruth is, is set, where these, these three women are living in this patriarchal society, this patrilineal society, and this patrilocal society. There's all these fancy words that basically suggest that they live in a world that is governed and run by and through the Father, by and through man. Um, so they're, they're at a loss, right? They have no inheritance. This, this, this patrilineal society means that your inheritance runs through the Father. It run, you need a father that has a son so that inheritance can be passed on so the name can be carried on. Um, this is why throughout Scripture you'll see um, all the lineages, all these lists of men's names, and why it's a big deal when you do see a woman's name applied to that lineage. Um, it's also why you see in Scripture this heart for the orphan and this heart for the widow, because they do not fit within that cultural structure. There's nothing for them in that. So God is asking the church to, to minister to and, and to love those people well. So you have, this is the, the world that um, Naomi and, and Ruth are living in. And at some point, um, Naomi suggests to Ruth and Orpah, you should go back to your own homes. Orpah takes her up on that offer. But Ruth says to her, that's where you get that famous verse from Ruth, where she says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And she goes with her from, uh, from Moab back to Bethlehem. I want you to understand for Ruth what it means for her to go back or to go to Bethlehem. As a Moabite, the Israelites and Moabites are like oil and water, right? If you, if you know of where the Moabites come from, they, that comes from um, Lot's daughter. Because she's desperate for a son, because her Sodom and Gomorrah has just been wiped off the map, they have no people to help carry on their inheritance, so they um, get their father drunk, they lay with their father so they can have a kid. So... From incest comes the first daughter's son, who is Moab. That's where your Moabites come from. Um, and the Israelites are aware of where the Moabites come from, and they hold that against them. Then you read in Numbers 22, and in, and in Numbers 25, you'll see this, this scheme at one point that the Moabites have of wanting to curse the Israelites um, for just a whole lot of reasons. And then the Lord doesn't let that happen because the Israelites are a chosen people. So then the Moabites were like, well, if the Lord is not going to curse them, we're going to make them curse themselves. So they seduce them with these with prostitutes, and the Israelite men fall. Uh, they, they take the bait, and they, they fall into that temptation. God's not excited about that, so he sends this plague. 24,000 Israelites lose their life. So this is the relationship between Israelites and Moabites. And Ruth, this Moabite, is following Naomi back to uh, Bethlehem, and she says, your people will be my people. While the people that are waiting there for her are going, I don't think so. Right? I know who you are. I know where you come from. 
So they get back to, um, they get to Bethlehem, and it's at that point where Boaz is introduced to the story. Boaz plays the role as this kinsman redeemer. That's another part of their culture that, that they, um, that is a part of the Jewish culture that, that works with this patriarchal society. There's someone that is in their family that's willing to um, marry the, the widow or marry the, the orphan daughter with the hopes of, of helping provide her a life, but also, more, more importantly, to provide her a son that will bring about this inheritance, right, this patriarchal society that they live in. So Boaz does that. Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son. Everybody lives happily ever after. So we just went through the Ruth 1 through 4, like, right? Do not use that as your Ruth's Bible study. There's so much more than that. I'm just trying to, to get us where I want to, want to go. Um, so for us, let's look at what it means for us to be a part of the good news in um, in hard times. Ruth 1, 1 says, it starts off, in the land, no wait, in the time when judges ruled the land is how Ruth 1, 1 is going to start off. So basically what that should read as, actually it even reads, in the time when judges ruled the land, there was a great famine, right? So what that would, the way you would interpret that for us in today's world, it would almost read like it was still 2020, but it would say, in 2020, there was an election. So you have this like chaotic moment of 2020, and then you add this other chaotic moment of we're about to be a divided nation that's going to elect a president, right? So COVID was already a lot. Then you add in the fact that we have this other thing going on that's a ton happening. Very similar to what you're reading when it says, in the, in the time when judges ruled the land, there was this great famine. This is what Ruth and Boaz are living in this moment. If you read through the book of Judges, which is right before Ruth, you're going to see this story, this very cyclical story of the Israelites obeying the covenant, disobeying the covenant, foreign oppression coming because they disobey the covenant. Um, then there's repentance, and then God sends a judge to help them make things right. And then they obey the covenant, and then they disobey the covenant again. That story happens over and over and over again. But their disobedience, their, their restlessness is a very dark, dark season for Israelite, the Israelites. One of the darkest in, in, uh, throughout the Old Testament. But for Boaz and Ruth, in that, in that season of darkness, in that season of hard time, hardship for the Israelites, they, for whatever reason managed to be these people of great virtue. In, in Ruth, both um, Ruth and Boaz are described as being people of Hael, which means they're worthy. They're people of integrity. You'll see it um, also in the Psalms. I think it's Psalms 12 and, uh, sorry, Proverbs 12 and Proverbs 31. An excellent wife, right? A virtuous woman um, is is, is is also where that same word is used, that word Hael. Um, so what does it mean for us? How do we, in, this, in 2021, <clears throat> hopefully on the tails end of COVID, um, as I just coughed right there, that's very fitting, um, hopefully on the tails end of COVID, but still in a, very, in a season where our, our world is going, our nation is going through great hardship, how are we to be a people of great virtue? Um, I think one thing we can look at is, what do we see in, in the life of Ruth? What do we see in the life of Boaz? I think one thing we see in the life of Ruth is her willingness to stick with Naomi. Remember, Naomi 
um, tells both of them, Orpah and, and Ruth, that, that they can leave and they should leave. So Orpah's like, sweet, I am out of here, right? But Ruth sticks and says again, like we referenced earlier, that your people will be my people, your, your God will be my God. Um, the fact that she stays um, is, a, is a huge part of Ruth's virtue. Um, it says that Naomi sees and lets Ruth stay whenever, whenever she sees that she was determined to go with her. That word determined there means courageous. The one thing I want to suggest to us is that as followers of Christ, you're going to have plenty of opportunity to show courage through your loyalty. In times of hardship, in times of, of difficulty, your loyalty will speak volumes. We live in a culture right now where if the ship is sinking, we just jump off that ship. Um, we can't have the, the stink of someone else on us, so we distance ourselves from that thing or that, or that person. And I, I want to be clear, in some of those things, perhaps there's wisdom in that, but in many cases, I believe that loyalty is lacking um, because loyalty is going to cost us something. Um, we become loyal, more loyal to societal trends and not to individuals. Um, Even when the individual is wrong, being an example of virtue and loyalty uh, in their life, just like Ruth and Boaz were to the Israelites around them in the time of the judges, uh, that can be life-changing to that individual. Uh, so I do believe that we, we, we can denounce the actions of an individual without denouncing the individual. It's hard to do that. We have to lean into Christ to do that well. I'm not saying I do it well. I'm saying that's something that I think... To be people of virtue during hard times, to be people of good news during hard times, it may require that. Not only does Ruth, um, Ruth go, but once they arrive, she immediately begins to work and provide for herself and for Naomi by gleaning the fields behind the reapers. And she ends up in Boaz's field. And it's in that place where we begin to see a little bit of Boaz's hail, a little bit of Boaz's virtue. Um, in that place, I want you to understand, <clears throat> he offers food and drink and water to, to, to Ruth. Says to her, stay here at my field. You don't have to go to any other field. You can glean here. He even connects her with these women that he, she can work with. He instructs the men that work on his fields to, 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 to not treat her like they would treat any other foreigner as this outcast. Um, he sets her up for this great success. Also understand that for Ruth, she's poor. She doesn't have loads of water to carry in with her. So that even the fact that he's letting her partake in their water, um, it, it, he is going out of his way. As a Moabite, it would have been very likely without Boaz's intervention that she would have had access to none of these things. So I think Boaz is showing us something of what it looks like to be a person of virtue during difficult, hard times. A person of virtue, a virtuous person does not love out of convenience, but loves out of compassion. It's going to be horribly inconvenient at times to remain loyal to people in your life that you're hoping and wanting more from. It's going to be horribly inconvenient at times to, to give during, during such... Uh, 
difficult seasons of your own, difficult financial seasons of your own. It's going to be hard to be, be a person of, 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 of strong, great faith during such hopeless moments. But a virtuous person doesn't love out of convenience. We love out of, out of compassion. There's a part I love in, um, in verse 12. I'll read it to you right here because I don't have it typed out. Whenever Boaz comes upon Ruth, he gives her this blessing. And I want you to hold on to it for just a second. He says to her, he's like, I've heard of you. I've heard of the great things you've done to your, for your family. Um, and he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he gives her this, this blessing, this prayer. And then following that, he actually then invites her after she goes back into the field to work some more, he invites her now to come eat lunch with the, with the people. And this time he sits her right beside the reapers. So for us to understand really what's happening, she's coming in as a gleaner. And she's gleaning during the barley harvest. The barley harvest is the part of the harvest that that's the food is made and grown for the poor. And it's made and grown for the animals. And she's not reaping those things with the reapers. She's gleaning behind the reapers. So she's picking up the things that the reapers are dropping. So she's got the leftovers of the leftovers, right? This shows you a good picture of just where and how desperate Naomi and Ruth are. So she spent her whole morning as this gleaner working behind these reapers, picking up the things. And at lunch, Boaz says, you come and sit where? Beside the reapers. Speaking this dignity and worth into who Ruth was. People of virtue see the value and worth in those around them, and they help other people see it as well. What it will look like for us to be um, living out God incarnate is to live that way. The people in your life, helping others to see the, the, the worth and value in them, helping those individuals see it in themselves by bringing them um, up to a place of equality. Here's why I love one place where the, where the book of Ruth really takes a big turn for me. is um, So we just read that blessing that, that Boaz reads over, um, of, over Ruth where, um, how does he say it? The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge is what he references. You see in, later in, in chapter, I think it's in chapter 2, um, Actually, no, it's going to be in three. Um, Bo, Ruth goes to Boaz, and this is what she says to him. She lays herself at his feet, and she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So you had that moment in two where Boaz says to her, um, take refuge of the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then Ruth goes to Boaz in chapter three and says, spread your wings over your servant. I think one thing that's happening in that moment is Ruth, in her virtue, is challenging Boaz to not just know things about God, but to walk out the things about God that he knows. He's saying, she's saying to Boaz, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. But also, you'll, you'll see that Boaz responds well today. He's like, I'll, absolutely, I'll do it. P. 
people of virtue, we will, you will make willing vessels to do the things that people around you need and are asking of you. So you think about Ruth and Boaz, and they're living in a time where, where things around them are dark and, and they're hazy. Make no mistake, life around them is not easy. Like I'm sitting here talking about how virtuous Boaz and Ruth are, but it's not because uh, they're not being virtuous people because the paycheck is coming in at the first of the month and, and, and halfway in the, in the middle of the month. They're not being virtuous because the person that they voted for is in office. They're, they're not being virtuous because they, they finally got the vaccine. They're, they're virtuous because they are reflecting the God that they know and love. We can easily lack virtue when we stop reflecting the image of God. And we start reflecting the image of our circumstance. You don't see that with Ruth or with Boaz and the way they're living. They're consistently reflecting the image of the God that they live, the God that they love and the God that they serve. So ultimately, Ruth and Boaz are simply willing vessels that the Lord's moving through. But what about Jesus? So like, we don't carry this weight of just being the good news. We're, we are vessels that God uses to spread and send his good news, right? You see that all throughout Scripture, God's desire to use human flesh to carry his message. What about Jesus, this ultimate good news? Where is he in all of this? When you look at the, the story of Ruth altogether, you're not going to see God's name mentioned a great amount. But he's all throughout their story. You can see the story of the gospel like threaded through like this, uh, sewn through like this thread um, throughout the story. So let's look. Let me give you an example. We have one slide real quick, my first one. So you see this familiar story of redemption in, in the story of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi experienced death and a loss of inheritance. Then Boaz, this kinsman redeemer, makes himself known and says, yes, I am, I am a redeemer. He makes himself known as one of them. Then Boaz is willing to buy back Ruth. Not only is he willing, but he's able. And I say it that way because there's actually a closer kinsman that Boaz says, we've got to see if he wants to buy you back first. And that closer, that closer redeemer is very interested in the land and is like, yes, I'll do it, Absolutely. And then Boaz is like, but you got to take Ruth. And he's like, I don't want Ruth. He doesn't want Ruth because he doesn't want to mess with his own inheritance, things like that. He's not willing to make that sacrifice. So Boaz is willing, but Boaz is also able, right? So what does that remind us of? It should remind us of another familiar story that we see in Scripture. There we go. So we, all of us, we experience death and a loss of inheritance. Jesus becomes one of us, putting on flesh, becoming one of us, just like Boaz makes himself known as one of us, as one of them. Then you see God is willing to buy us back. So loved the world that he gave his only son. And not only is he willing to buy us back, but he's able to buy us back. Because it's not going to be silver or gold that's going to be able to buy us or to afford us or to redeem our sins. It's going to be what? The blood of Jesus Christ. So you see in this big bird's eye view of, of Ruth's story, you see that God is working and God is moving. We mentioned earlier, Ruth 1.1 says, In the time the judges ruled the land, 
right before Ruth 1.1 is the last verse of, of the book of Judges. And it ends with a phrase that is mentioned multiple times throughout the book of Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What we'll learn in the book of Ruth is that Ruth gives birth, Ruth and Boaz, to Obed. Obed's name means servant. And he's given that name because he's coming to serve Naomi, coming to serve Ruth. The lineage listed in Ruth 4 shows us that Obed is the grandfather of the future king, King David. So this kingship that God will begin to use to bring right relationship is a, is a kingship that God uses to bring right relationship between God and the Israelites. So we want us to understand what's happening here is we have this awful moment, like season for Naomi and for, for Ruth. And God is bringing rescue for Naomi, Naomi and Ruth through Obed. But not just for Naomi and Ruth. He's bringing rescue for Bethlehem, for Jerusalem. He's bringing rescue for the Israelites. So let's look at this picture. Another story where we can see the gospel um, at large in the book of Ruth. So you have this familiar story of mother and child. Ruth is rejected by her community, rejected by the community in, in um, Bethlehem because she's a Moabite. Right? They're going to be like, we don't. You're, you're, we don't want you here, right? So she, she's going to experience this rejection, even if it's an implied rejection. She gives birth to a son, Obed. Remember, Obed means servant. Obed is born in Bethlehem. Obed brings redemption and rescue. What does that remind us of? That should remind us of Mary, rejected by her community, right? Not wed, conceived as, as carrying a child. She gives birth to a son, Jesus, who is, according to uh, it's Philippians, is uh, a bond servant, right? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Jesus brings redemption and rescue. This bird's eye view of, of Ruth, you see the story of the gospel um, being woven. So why am, I, why am I taking the time to, to show you that? Oftentimes when we have hardship in our own life, it's very difficult to see that God's at work. Unless we step back and look and say, man, as difficult as things are, I can see the gospel in my life. In the darkest of times, God's at work behind the scenes, but not just to bring healing to that particular moment, to your particular moment, but for all the moments to come. Here's what's interesting about their story is... This whole time throughout the book of Ruth, because they live in this patriarchal society, this patrilineal society, they're waiting on a son. They're hoping for a son. And Naomi's friends in four, after Obed is born, they're celebrating with Naomi. She's got a grandson, and they're almost like, this is, you're going to treat him like he's your own son. Just, yeah, we know how excited you are and all this stuff. And they're just kind of like rejoicing with her and they say this, they say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. What we've been waiting for this whole time in the book of Ruth is a son to come. But what's been in front of Naomi the entire time is someone who carries more value than seven of them. When you're in seasons of hardship, it can be very difficult to see that God is there, because a lot of times we're expecting something different. 
Matter of fact, a lot of times what we're expecting is no hardship at all. Why would God let this happen? Where is God? Why is he forsaking me, right? Those are the questions that we often ask in times of hardship. But what we can learn and take from Ruth and and her story is that God is absolutely there. And not only is he there, but he's working and he's moving. Here's my hope for worship crew. You guys come on up. Um, They say that the uh, uh, economy of the kingdom is increased. I've heard that maybe from Steve years ago. Um, And it is because the worship team is way better than whenever I was here, right? Um, I want to encourage you guys as a church, regardless of where you are, the good news that we celebrated last week of the resurrection is that we have a father, uh, we have a, a God who is alive and well. Philippians 3.10 calls us to, to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. People of godly virtue, godly integrity, are going to live out that um, power. We're, to walk in the power of the resurrection means that I'm going to be committed to being a vessel that God sends and spreads that good news through. Regardless of what my circumstances look like, I want to reflect the image of God, not the image of my circumstances. Father, I pray for an anointing on this church to do just that. God, a a grace to see you in the midst of their story, regardless right now what their story may look like. Ultimately, Lord, it doesn't matter what our story looks like. It just matters what our God looks like. God, fix our gaze upon you. Help us to see where you're writing your story in our story, Lord. Show us, Father, in a season of difficulty, how to be people of virtue and integrity, how to be people that spread and send the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's any a heart here today that's just thinking, you know, this is just too much. Father, I pray you release a spirit of hope upon their heart. Pull back their eyes. Show them the roof that's right in front of them, God, that carries more value than the seven than seven sons. That we, the thing that we're waiting for and hoping for, God, let, let them know that, that, that you're there, this greater hope in our waiting and in our, in, our, in our struggling and our suffering, God, that we do not do that alone, but you're right there with us. Father, I ask and pray that in your son's name. Amen. So I'm going to share one more thing with you as I, before I step off. Um, and the we mentioned earlier that, that Ruth was married for 10 years uh, to Milan before he dies. Um, this is, remember, she lives in this patriarchal society where everything is built around having uh, 
there being a father and then there being a son, that the lineage and inheritance can pass through. In those 10 years of marriage to Milan, they have no children, or else they wouldn't be in this pickle that they're in right now. I've been gone from here for 10 years. In those 10 years, I have four children, no sons, all, go- all daughters. It's a woman's world now. Um, and I don't live in a patriarchal society, right? You have to know that Ruth and Milan were desperately trying to have children and couldn't. So I even think simply the fact that, that Ruth is able to conceive 10 years later is this miracle. It's this, you imagine 10 years of hardship that she has lived through and then piling on top of that hardship of not being able to get pregnant for whatever reason, then losing her husband. If she steps back and has this bird's eye view, she sees that, man, as difficult as it was, God was there. Not, he was not only there working for her moment, but for all the moments to 